This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers brought to you by the fur bearers. The illegal wildlife trade is significantly more broad and includes far more species than most people think. And Canada is seemingly playing a role in it. Dr. Chris Shepard, Executive Director of Monitor Conservation Research Society, is working hard to research and expose the illegal wildlife trade around the world. In two papers he co-published regarding black bears and their illegal trade in various parts of the world, Canada had a clear connection. Links to these, which explore the bear trade in Czech Republic and Australasian countries, are available in the show notes. Dr. Shepard joined Defender Radio to share more about Monitor Conservation Research Society, how Canada factors into the illegal wildlife trade, and what average residents can do to make a difference. Could you tell me a bit about yourself and uh, your background with the organization, how you got to today, effectively, in a, a brief uh, uh, version? Because I think we could probably talk about it for a full day. So, <laughs> I started off in... Uh, in doing a bit of freelance work and volunteering here and there in, in Indonesia and other, other parts of Southeast Asia many years ago. Um, while I was there, I was seeing more and more wildlife trade around me. So I started learning more about that and uh, basically teaching myself what that all meant and what was what species were involved and, and why species were in trade. Mm -hmm. Not long after that, an organization called Traffic hired me. I worked for them for 21 years, based out of Malaysia for most of that time. Um, and then four years ago, I set up, I moved back to Canada and I set up an organization called Monitor, the Monitor Conservation Research Society. Um, and we, we look at wildlife trade, we look at uh, legal and illegal trade and unsustainable trade. Um, a lot of species that are in trade or are threatened by trade are not adequately protected and they're, they're not the big charismatic species that are always in the spotlight. So we, we, uh, we focus on these underdog species, if you want, and um, try to put them in in the spotlight where they deserve to be as well. Yeah, and I love your your, your website, uh, mcrsociety.org, because uh, it does, it kind of, it gives you a very great overview of a lot of the different issues. And there are a lot of different issues. And I think maybe that's something, you know, especially in the last two years, as we've talked about the illegal or international and legal wildlife trade, is it can very simply be boiled down to a few things because of the way it's represented in media. So we hear about wet markets, we hear about elephants, we hear about tigers, and that's a large amount of what we hear about. Maybe sharks sometimes, depending on what's on TV. Um, but there is just this, this vast, diverse array of species and people and places involved in both the legal and illegal wildlife trade. Um, and uh, I, I thought a great place for us to kind of dig in is this this article you have on the bear trade in the Czech Republic, uh, in which it, it's very much an analysis, as it's titled. And rather than me try and explain it, why don't you explain a bit about what led to wanting to do this paper and what you learned as a result of it? Sure. Yeah, you know, like you said, a lot of uh, a lot of what people know about is is what's on TV. Um, tigers, elephants, rhinos, and, and those species deserve a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. um, but there's literally thousands of others that aren't getting the attention they deserve, and that includes bears. Um, there's eight species of bears in the world. All of them are, are traded in some level. Um, and some of these are, are 
highly threatened by illegal trade. So we've been looking at the bear trade for a number of years. Uh, we started looking at it largely in Southeast Asia, um, looking at the, the bear bile trade. Bear bile and the gallbladders are traded for use in traditional medicine. Mm -hmm. A lot of these bears are from the wild. In fact, the vast majority of them from the wild. Um, people may have heard the term bear farm. Yep. In Southeast Asia, there are bear farms in some countries, um, but they don't farm bears. They don't breed bears. There's no captive breeding going on. The bears are taken from the wild put in these um, small crates. Um, from an animal welfare perspective, it's it's an absolute nightmare. They're in these tiny metal crates. A lot of them can't even stretch their legs. They can't stand up. And they're kept in there for, for years with uh, pipes inserted into their gallbladder mm -hmm. to drain the bile out to be used in medicine. And there's a big black market in this, in this bile and the, the medicines made from this bile. So we started looking at the trade in Southeast Asia largely, and then we started going from there. Well, where else is, is trade taking place? Is this bile being exported to other countries? Um, it would all be illegal. So we, we involved a lot of investigation looking at where might it be going and, and the reasons behind that and how it might be getting there. Um, the government of the Czech Republic wanted to look at uh, the, the trade with us there. So we started digging in there thinking, well, there is a large community here that could be using traditional medicine, so we'll probably find some links there. And we did. But what we didn't, what we weren't really expecting is um, a lot of trade from Canada. Um, a lot of this trade was legal. Canada has a legal trade in, in, in bears, um, yep. black bears especially for trophies. Um, but we found a lot of these trophies being exported illegally as well, and we're still trying to get our head around that. Why are people trafficking uh, in an animal that can be legally traded? Probably a number of reasons for that, um, to save money. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps parts that aren't allowed to be traded, like the gallbladders are being included in these shipments. Who knows? So um, then we got thinking, well, I wonder where else we're going to find this situation. So we've just actually today published another paper looking at the trade um, in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Bear trade. And obviously, Australia and New Zealand um, don't have any bears. Um, if any of you call a koala a bear, you're going to have some... Aussies on your case. <laughs> um, and, and, and again, we found that some of the bears and even there are coming is, um, from, from Canada. So it's probably something that's happening on a, a, a bigger scale than anyone's aware of and is probably a bigger problem than, than we think it is. Well, and I, I guess, you know, one of the, the things to sort of go at here is we, we, you know, there is the element of traditional medicines, which I think has been talked a lot about. But as you've noted, and looking at this original paper, there's a lot of pelts and a lot of, uh, uh, or I guess skins technically, um, and uh, tr uh, trophy type objects as well being exported from Canada. Uh, I recall in discussing something similar with Phonolytics, it, looking at US imports, Canada was a huge trade partner for importing uh, animals and so on. It, 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 I guess it seems surprising to me that right now in Canada, people can, through some means legally, go out, kill an animal, strip it for parts, and ship it internationally. Um, is this something that is happening through loopholes, or is this something where there's a little bit that's legal, and we suspect, as you mentioned, maybe through the legal channel, some of the illegal elements are happening? Or I guess, how, how is this happening in Canada? Um, you know, I'll just touch on that point first. Um, when you, when you, if you were to, you know, Google wildlife trade or do some research on wildlife trade, 
Southeast Asia, China, um, parts of Africa. Um, those are the those are the, the the countries and the places and the the, the continents that are going to pop up. And, and you're going to find a lot of publications about wildlife trade in 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 Southeast Asia. A lot of publications of wildlife trade, you know, in rhino horn trade coming from South and East Africa and and the, these sort of things. But you won't find anything on Canada. Um, it's not that it's not happening. It is happening. Uh, it's just not being looked at as much as it, it probably should be. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's probably not happening on the scale that it happens in in other countries. But that that doesn't matter. It's happening. Yeah. Um, people need to be made aware of that. And and um, and based on that knowledge, Canadians need to be um, careful what they're buying, making you know um, informed consumer decisions. Don't don't just buy something face value, thinking it's legal or or or, or sourced sustainably or or mm -hmm. from a legal source it may well not be um so canada play would play a few roles in the wildlife trade um obviously as a source and we're, as as we're talking about with the bears bears are coming out of canada uh, mostly legal um because there is a legal trophy hunting system in place mm -hmm. there's there's quotas there's uh hunting seasons for bears it's quite well well regulated but having said that clearly um some bears are slipping out through through one means or another, whether it's a loophole that people are taking advantage of, or it's good old fashioned stuff, stuff in your suitcase trafficking, mm -hmm. um, who, who knows? And that, that needs a lot more investigation. And that's something we want to really follow up on. Yeah. And it, it is, I guess it's, it's one of these, it makes sense. Uh, and as someone who, who over the years has read a lot about organized crime and, and various other people who are always looking for money. It is in one regard shocking that it's happening and in another makes complete sense that uh, we live in a nation where wildlife is looked to as a resource, uh, is very often monetized, that some people may then try and find a way to monetize more uh, in regards to wildlife and the access to these things. Um, and, and I guess something I wanted to touch on a bit, and, and neither of us are an expert in this, but as someone who has traveled internationally, who has looked at all of these issues, as we've noted, we very frequently hear, you know, Southeast Asia, Asia, parts of Africa are, are responsible or are the big issues. Is there a way of maybe repositioning this in terms of it's not about any specific culture, it's not about any specific nation, but it is about... Um, you know, various rules and regulations and, and so on, or is it about crime or is, is it about more than what I think sometimes it gets limited to in those social media conversations or in media bites? Is, is there more to it than just where animals are and where people who may want the parts are or come from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people aren't aware how big the wildlife trade is to start with. It's comparable in size to the global drug trade and the global arms trade and the, the global trade in, in humans. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's massive. And when you get something that lucrative, obviously organized crime is going to be playing a major role. Um, a lot of the trade international and at national levels is um, organized by crime networks, by, by extremely well funded and well-resourced, well-organized crime groups mm -hmm. who are making a lot of money off of it. You look at a lot of countries, their legislation has extremely harsh penalties for trafficking in drugs or arms, um, but not much more than a slap on the wrist for wildlife trafficking. 
It's yeah. just not seen as a priority. Um, so yeah, there's organized crime behind it, and it's it's um, happening everywhere. It's not confined to a, a particular country or a particular group of people um, by any means. It's happening everywhere, um, and 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 it's there are issues or species that are in demand because of cultural practices in some places. Mm -hmm. um, but increasingly, it's just because there's cash to be made and and uh, the risk of being caught is um is low and not a deterrent well and i was going to bring that up i was actually just going to look something up um so talking about bear bile or or bear paws which are things that can be taken from a bear in canada we do have regulations regarding that but as noted there's always going to be someone looking to get around those um and it is reasonable to presume that some of those items do leave the country illegally in terms of the cost, so if we're looking at someone who wants to buy bear bile, I don't know what they would spend on the bear bile, but what I'm reading here is they'd be looking at around a $250 fine in Czech Republic. Uh, Canadian, sorry, US dollar, $250 fine. I, I am unfamiliar with what the CZK uh, represents for a Czech, or Czech Republic uh, monetary system because I am woefully uneducated on such international financial institutions. Yeah, I mean that's the problem. I mean, your your um, the cost and risk equation for wildlife trade is is very biased towards the the poacher and the the trafficker and the smuggler and the the illegal end user. Mm -hmm. um, you it, it costs very little to get wildlife. You, poaching wildlife is not an expensive ordeal. Um, you know, in 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 Southeast Asia, where I where I lived and worked, the cost of a snare to get a bear or a tiger is nothing. It's a bicycle brake cable, or in some cases, a piece of nylon rope. Yeah. So your cost is very minimal, um, and it's worth doing if there's no risk of being caught. If if there's no risk, even if the product is is a uh, is commercialized in some way to with with the hopes of reducing the 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 impact on the wild population if they're captive bred or whatever, if there's no um, no risk of being caught for taking it out of the wild for the cost of a bicycle brake cable. Um, people are going to do it, and even if it does become a little more difficult, um, they may just be putting in more effort to to get more to to make up for their losses. Real real penalties and a real risk of being caught needs to be um, in place to, to serve as a proper deterrent. Yeah, I think that makes a fair bit of sense too. Um... For Canada, and I guess we'll we'll sort of break this into two. It's internationally, you know, we've got CITES, uh, Convention on the International Trade Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. <clears throat> excuse me. In Canada, we've got Wildlife Acts, we've got endangered species legislation, we've got all of these other things. What is missing that is preventing this from, or, or what is missing that could lead to solutions to mitigating, if not ending, some of this trade, at least in Canada? So legislation is adequate. Um, we have very well-trained professional enforcement officers on the job. I think um, what is missing is probably the, the most significant is the, the public awareness mm -hmm. that Canada is a player in the global illegal wildlife trade, um, as is probably every other country on the planet. Yep. Um, it's not just something that's happening somewhere else. So people need to educate themselves about uh, the illegal wildlife trade and um, and get over that idea that you you don't have a role to play. Everybody has a role to play. Mm -hmm. um, call on your government to put in place stronger legislation. Um, report 
suspected or suspicious issues that could be wildlife trade issues. Um, and be careful what you buy. You know, you, yeah. you might buy, a, see a Python skin product in a shop and think, well, it's in a shop, it must be legal, it must be from a sustainable source, it's probably kept to bread, blah, blah, blah. I, I highly doubt any retailer could could trace back that Python skin bag or pair of boots back to a legal or illegal source. They simply wouldn't know. Yeah. So in cases like that, if you're in if you're in doubt on whether or not you're contributing to a a problem, don't buy it. Just mm -hmm. um, stay away from these things unless you're absolutely sure. And you know, it'd be a pretty hard argument anyway to say you need a Python skin bag. Um, yes, unless so you're a Python. Doubt, if in doubt, don't buy. Uh, if you're not sure. Yeah. Um, one other thing that really needs to happen in a in a in a bigger way. You mentioned Canada is a party to CITES, so are 183 or so other countries. Mm -hmm. um, these countries need to be communicating even more than they are. There's a system in place where they can communicate and, and they do, but this should be increased to, to include things. Um, there should be more global discussion on the international bear trade, for example. Uh, the bears in Southeast Asia are all uh, listed in Appendix 1 of CITES, which means no commercial trade is allowed of these species. In, yeah. at an international level um, and if if countries are, are are seizing bear products that are coming from canada they should be turning around and informing the authorities here in canada and saying look we've got a problem we're we've we're intercepting shipments of bears coming in on a, on a frequent basis from canada without the required paperwork or with no paperwork at all um let's put our head to together and and uh, sort this out and come up with a plan to make this stop yeah. Um, rather than just enter that seizure into your database and move on to, uh, you know, the next one. If, if, if countries aren't informing the source countries like Canada, that they, that they're receiving illegal product from there, um, how is, how are the authorities in Canada supposed to realize what they should be keeping an eye open for? Yeah, and I think that's the the ultimate issue with any kind of intelligence gathering or, or law enforcement is if you don't have open communication channels, you don't know what you need to know and therefore can't act, right? It's regardless of who you are or what the subject matter is. Um, and I also wonder if there is a uh, a bit of a resource issue at all in terms of just the volume of people working on some of this. And, and I would look to perhaps... Um, and it's a bit adjacent, but like the BCCOS or the BC Conservation Officers Service, who will be in times involved in trying to investigate some of this, uh, I, I would imagine. And they have been, in our opinion, chronically understaffed for a long time, considering the scope of what they do and the territories they have to cover, uh, in addition to new duties that get added. Um, is that something too, that if people are talking to their MLA, their MP, their MPP, MNA, whomever it may be, say, you know, have you looked at how much we're actually putting behind these things resource wise? Because that, I, I wonder if that's also a, oh, well, we're doing it, but have you actually asked whether or not we're really doing it? I've never seen a wildlife agency uh, anywhere in the world that was overstaffed or overfunded. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there could be more more boots on the ground. I, absolutely. I'm sure no one would deny that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the public needs to be aware of what 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 is going on. And, and so they can make these recommendations to their local yeah. government. You know, we, we need more um, more investigation into the illegal trapping or the illegal trade in, in bear gallbladders in B.C. or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Um, I also think that the um, 
the authorities themselves um, should be made more aware of, of current issues, of international issues. You know, you may you may be working in BC and, and working on bear poaching issues, but you may not be aware of the demand for these products in other countries and the the um, the methods and the techniques that the trafficking networks are using to move these bear parts out of Canada or or aware of what legislation loopholes there might be that um, that might exist that these people are taking advantage of and how yeah. how you as a as an officer of the law can be um, countering these these attempts to move the product out mm -hmm. well and again that's uh, you know calling back many years ago to uh, journalism and looking at crime there is constant conferences and constant training available to look at uh, again you know covering drug related issues every year there is new material for police officers and law enforcement and teachers coming out of these are the popular street drugs right now learn how to identify them learn what to do if you find them and learn you know what they're doing in your community and the intent of that is so that more people within the community can identify the problem and report it, but it all starts with the members of the community being able to identify it. So it, it's a very interesting parallel I can see there that, that very much matches. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've trained many, many, many enforcement uh, officers over, over the years in, in many parts of the world. And uh, some of the biggest problems really for, for them are they, they don't have the skills they need to identify the species involved. Mm -hmm. They're not aware of the international demand, so they're not aware that they, they may not be aware that there's a, a de demand for the wildlife in their area um, outside of the country they live in. Um, and they're often un unaware of the tools they have at hand to tackle this trade, whether it's species identification materials, whether it's expertise outside of the legal system that is there to help, you know, mm -hmm. people, experts on particular species or species groups, um, researchers that could tell them about current trends that they're seeing in the, in the, in the wild. Um, and also, um, the, the vast majority of officers I've ever worked with or trained do not have contacts outside of their immediate jurisdiction. Yeah, they don't have a counterpart that they work with or even talk to uh, casually, even in 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 consumer countries or in transit countries that they could be working with more effectively to intercept shipments and to to counter trade, be you know, and get ahead of the game and nip it at the bud. So much, um, so much effort to stop the illegal wildlife trade and the unsustainable wildlife trade is reactive. Yeah. Um, you know, this species is almost extinct. Let's do something about it. Um, really, we have to get way ahead of the game. And that's why we in, in Monitor are trying to publish these, these papers as often as we can and get this information out. Look, there's a, there's a growing problem here. There's an emerging trend here. Um, you know, this species is disappearing. There's going to be a replacement species. What's it going to be? And let's get ahead of the game and um, and ensure trade isn't wiping out so many species. Yeah. And just, I think, for, for a quick context check, too, I had one more question about consumer stuff, but uh, I just looked this up very briefly. According to a Canadian Geographic article that's a couple of years old, the wildlife trade, um, illegal trade in wildlife, was estimated at 175 billion annually and is the world's lar fourth largest criminal enterprise. And what's of note about that 175 billion, because that's a number that, how do you possibly process that? To put it in context, that is one tenth of Canada's annual GDP right now. Uh, so every dollar we make, one in 10 would be going to this effectively, just in terms of the size of that trade. 
Uh, so when we talk about resources and you talk about the need for people to really be engaged on it, there's a lot of money to be had. And when there's a lot of money to be had and there's bad people willing to get that money, real bad things can happen, uh, to put it in a wildly simplistic term. Um, and, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask about this, this just popped in my head when we were talking about consumers and, you know, not buying the snakeskin, something I see, and I know how some of the ways this happens, but people will have animal skulls. And most people I know who have them did not go out and kill an animal. They either found the skull and took it home and bleached it and did whatever. I'll also then walk past a lot of antique stores and see animal skulls, or I'll walk past curiosity shops and see animal skulls. Is this another one of those opportunities where people could be asking, hey, where did this actually come from? And is there a way, if that's something you are looking to have, that there may be better ways to get them? Absolutely. Um, the the trophy hunting and the, the animal part collecting and the keeping of talisman and that sort of thing um, isn't isn't properly looked at. It could it deserves a lot more attention. A lot a lot of these species that are are traded as trophies could easily have been illegally sourced. Mm -hmm. um, and it's worth mentioning also that when we talk about the illegal trade, that is dwarfed by the trading the legal trade that is probably unsustainable. Yes. Um, so, for example, most fisheries is is legal, but it doesn't mean it's sustainable or that it should be happening at the scale it is. Um, the vast majority of the bird trade in the world is legal. Yes. Um, but it, it shouldn't be because a lot of these species are getting snuffed out faster than anything. So, yeah. Um, sorry, back to that. When people see uh, a skull or animal parts for sale, why not ask where it came from? Ask if it's legal. If it's from out of the country, ask if it has the proper paperwork to to, to buy it here. Mm -hmm. um, and if it doesn't, report it. The, the final thing to really get into is people who want to learn more about this. It seems massive. It really, really does. And, and as I said, I've interviewed a couple of times on sort of adjacent issues with this. And the hard part for me as an interviewer is the same of where do I start? Because it is such a huge trade and there are so many components of it. Um, where would you say if people want to learn more, you know, specifically with what monitors working on? So some of the Canadian linked stuff, the bears, songbirds, a lot of the great research you're trying to get out there. Where can people start to kind of dive into some of this and, and learn more in a way that will be helpful and not just overwhelming? Yeah, increasingly, there's a lot of really excellent material out there in, in sort of more public and more popular um, formats. Nat Geo um, is regularly carrying articles on wildlife trade, and I would highly recommend just going to the Nat Geo site and looking at wildlife trade to get, start getting a, a feel for it. Monga Bay is another amazing one that covers a lot of it. Um, the Revelator, all of these different sites are, are carrying more and more really good stuff on wildlife trade. Mm -hmm. um, and to dig even deeper, there's sites like, like our own, uh, the Monitor website. We've got all of our publications there. Um, and if you wanted to hone in on the bears, uh, we've got a lot of publications there on bears. And um, um, but you know, it's uh, Google bear trade and, and a number of papers will pop up. One of the things, I, last thing I want to ask about, you wrote a great article for us at thefurbears.com, and I'll link to it in the show notes for folks who want to read it about otter cafes. And we don't really have time to go into that as an issue on its own. But I think in terms of talking to people about what they can do to try and be you know, positive about this, to, to be helpful about this, 
that article I thought was a great overview of some of the questions to ask maybe or things to consider when you are internationally traveling, um, you know, and seeing maybe like this is cute, but um, are there any quick takeaways from that you would include sort of in this? Yeah, I would, I would educate yourself before you travel. Don't go to wildlife cafes don't, that, are, that are selling animals. Um, these places are, are, are fueling illegal trade. They're raising, raising demand for, for wildlife and often are, are, are displaying animals that have been illegally sourced. Mm-hmm. And, and don't pay money to pet tiger cubs and these sort of things. There's, there's breeding farms that breed tigers. Uh, when they're young, you can get your picture taken with them. And as the tigers get older, they're slaughtered and their bones enter the, enter the trade. So yeah. all, all of these all of these kind of things are out there. Um, and if you don't educate yourself before you go, you could, you could fall victim to them pretty easily and end up contributing to it, to, um, to the decline of a species in worst case scenario, or, or committing a crime that you might later be punished for. To learn more about Monitor Conservation Research Society, Dr. Chris Shepard, or get involved, visit their lovely website at mcrsociety.org. Links to the papers we discussed are available in the show notes in your podcast player or the episode blog at DefenderRadio.com. I want to thank everyone for listening and remind you to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Howie Michael or Facebook at the Defender Radio podcast page. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, grateful for your time and kindness. <laughs>